Locked on NBA Thursday edition, special guest Chad Ford with me, which is awesome because I used to fire up every year around draft time to talk with Chad Ford. We don't know when draft time is, but we get to do it. And Chad Ford's got a new podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, Chad Ford's NBA Big Board. So if you have not already followed that on Spotify, subscribed on iTunes, please do. Uh, It's been great. I enjoyed the redraft with John Hollinger. I enjoyed the Bill Simmons, the Mark Stein, Kevin O'Connor a few times. The guest list has been amazing. The show's been great, Chad. It's certainly a lot of fun to have you back on the airwaves, back in the podcast world, back in the NBA draft world. It's fun to be back and been been really interesting and educational for me as well. And I've really enjoyed not only diving back into the draft, but also just having conversations with people that I've always looked up to, revered, and, and had chances to collaborate with in the past just to be able to have a little bit more free-flowing conversations in the podcast format. I just really love it. It was funny. I was doing a search the other day, and I, I found, like, all of our old podcasts. Unlike when you were on with Bill and you went and actually, I think, re-listened and looked at a bunch of your notes, I was too scared to actually go find the things I said. I, I have to admit, I, I I balked out a little bit on the on the idea of finding out things I said to you on various podcasts about players. That's okay. I didn't go back and listen either, so I won't, I won't call you out on it the way that I called Bill out on it and he called me out on it. <laughs> Chad also has another podcast, by the way, The Dangerous Love. Uh, that is on his new book. Tell us a little bit about the book. It's, it's the dates getting closer and closer. What's giving me the latest on that? Yeah, June 23rd from Bear Kohler. You can pre-order it on Amazon or whatever your favorite bookstore is right now. Uh, I'm really excited for it to come out. This is what I've really been doing for the past couple of years while I've been in ESPN quarantine was doing a project that I've really wanted to do for a decade and just with my university teaching responsibilities, conflict resolution work, and the NBA draft, just there wasn't any time in my schedule to do it. But I I think a lot of listeners know, but maybe not all of them, that really for the last 15 years, I've both been working as a university professor teaching conflict resolution and for many of those years doing the draft for, for ESPN and lived two really different lives. But the majority of my life was actually in the conflict side and working in conflict resolution spaces. Uh, I especially spent quite a bit of time working in the Middle East, but I've done everything from family conflict to organizational conflict, what have you. And that, that was my educational background and just something I'm deeply passionate about in a world that experiences a lot of conflict. And the book is a collection of, of stories, principles, and ideas around how to resolve conflict in your own life. And I really wanted to make it a very personal book that gave people tools as well as told stories from my own work and frankly, from my own life about how this works when it's failed to work in my life. And I think there probably isn't a more important skill in relationships than learning how to constructively problem solve conflict. I, I think it makes all the difference in the world in a marriage relationship, in a family relationship. It's the difference between a great leader of an organization and a, and a poor leader in an organization. And certainly as we get into the community and social life that we're all living right now, this is the skill 
that we need to get better at, and we struggle with it as as a as a country. Um, we struggle with it in organizations. Uh, we struggle with it at home. I do at times as well. And so I I really am hoping that the book really gives people a new way to look at conflict and some real tools to be able to do something within their own life. Because I just think this is a skill that we don't teach and we don't talk about and we don't learn enough. It's good thoughts. Uh, so two podcasts, NBA Chad's Ford's NBA big board, dangerous love. And then the book comes out. You can pre-order it on Amazon uh, right now as I have. So uh, one of the things was most interesting listening to you recently is you were on with Bill Simmons, both on your podcast and on his. And in your podcast, you were talking about kind of going back, looking over notes, looking over two, you know, 20 years of dra- draft history over the last two years and trying to see, you know, where were mistakes made? And I was I was surprised that your conclusion seemed to be nothing conclusive, that, that mistakes are made all over the place. Yeah, well, one reason that it's tough to be completely conclusive is that we're not evaluating robots. We're evaluating human beings. And human beings are complicated, right? The best of us have weaknesses that sometimes are, are hard to spot on the surface the people that in, in our lives, including ourselves, that, that have major weaknesses that, that everyone can spot and see have strengths that sometimes are difficult to see because they're overshadowed by the mistakes that we've made or um, our, our personalities or what have you. And so when you're evaluating human beings, you're evaluating a very complex set of things that there's never going to be uh, an analytics formula that you're going to be able to put in place that's always going to get get this right. And so I think there's principles that you can look at the draft that generally turn to turn out to be true and some that generally turn out to be false, but there's going to be exceptions uh, across the board and and that I think what's is what makes the draft to me so intriguing and such a challenge is that you're trying to predict almost something that's unpredictable if you will, but you're trying to use the best tools, best information that you have uh, to get it right and learn from the teams that, that do it really well and also learn from the teams that don't. And, and in my case, you know, also learn from myself and the mistakes that I've made uh, in the draft and guys that I love that didn't turn out to be very good and guys that I wasn't very high on that turned out to be great. And, you know, you just try to get better at it every day. It's interesting. Um, I've always said when people are, oh, they don't draft well, look at all these second-round picks, that actually in those circumstances, the analysis of the weaknesses were probably right. What they missed was how strong the strengths were. Those second-round picks that kind of survive it. I actually think, because often you'll see eventually that weakness shows up, whether it's in the second round of the playoffs or the conference finals, but that they misjudged the brilliance of the footwork or the motor or something else in the process. Right. I think that one general truth is that the scouting perspective of just heaping on what a player does wrong and only, only really focusing on their red flags will get you in a lot of trouble uh, in the draft. You'll miss a lot of players and you'll end up drafting really for safety reasons, which often ends up with just very mediocre 
um, picks. You have to be a bit of a risk taker and you have to take risks on people and you have to be able to appreciate their strengths. And then, you know, and this is, I think, again, almost always true in the draft with a few exceptions. They have to be fit with your team, with your culture, with your style of play. Your coach has to believe in them. There has to be a, a role for them somehow on the team. And, you know, that doesn't really bode true for a guy like LeBron James or Kevin Durant or whatever who would excel on all 30 teams and would just get the coach fired if they didn't play him or what have you. But for so many other players, so much of their success in the NBA is going to be a bit dependent on who their teammates were, who their coach was, what their front office was, what role they got to play. And then another big part of it that is, I think, an area that you can really – can focus on before the draft is what their what their work ethic um, is like, right? Because any of the great players in the NBA, the truly great and special players, have incredible work ethics. They're always going into the gym. They're continuing to polish their game. They're continuing to get rid of their weaknesses. They're adding things to their game as NBA defenses adapt to what it is that they want to do and try to take that away. And if a player lacks that that passion that drive that desire to to really be great that way they're they're going to either struggle in the nba or they're going to plateau quickly uh, in the nba and not become everything that you thought they they could become it's interesting uh, you know the one thing i put on that as a caveat and there's always a caveat on everything and ron boone my broadcast partner talks about this all the time with his 50 years in the nba is it the trick about the NBA is that everyone's basketball card is good by that point, right? The back of everyone's basketball card is good. And how someone reacts the first time they play a game where they're not the best player on the floor is what determines their career. And it's sometimes hard to know if someone has that work ethic because if they're really good, they've generally been the best or one of the two best players on the floor in every game they've ever played until the first time they walk into an NBA practice. Right. And you just also have sophisticated NBA defenses that can take away what you like to do. And, and, and that's harder to do. It's almost impossible to do in high school. It becomes even harder. It, it's also hard in college to do it, though you get better at it. But you have to come in to the NBA knowing that as soon as the scouting report gets written and there's 30 advanced scouts out there, they're doing scouting reports on everybody, that they're going to work that right into the scouting report. And they're, whatever it is that you like to do, they're going to take that away. And so what's next? And that's where you really see the great ones continuing to modify, adapt their games, to keep defenses off balance, to be ahead of the curve. And, and just frankly, that's, that's a lot of work and just a desire to be great. And, you know, not only did not every player have that in the NBA, that's just generally true in life. Not everybody cares that much. And I, I agree with you that the other problem you know, really for all of these players is they're the greatest at what they've done. You know, when that, when they're drafted, they're one of the 60 best players in their age group that are non-professionals in the world, right? That's a, that's an incredible achievement to be at. And how do I adjust again? Because I've been able to get away with things and do a lot of things because of that, that I just won't be able to do in the NBA. And Oh, by the way, here's a few million dollars and now you have to work harder. That would be the added twist that we have no idea how to know on how any of them are going to react. A million dollars. How are you going to handle? Go ahead. Yeah, how are you going to handle the money, the fame, the pressure? 
how you're going to handle failure, how you're going to handle not being the alpha, you know, for the first time. I mean, there's so many things that aren't particularly easy to predict. And even if you look back at past track record, people mature, they change. This is also an age, you know, 18 to 25, that psychologists will tell you is, is the time in your life where you are changing as a person the most, right? This is you've left home, you get your own identity for the first time, you're figuring yourself out. That 18 to 25 age period is, is a really sort of adaptable moment. You can go a lot of different directions with your life before things start to get cemented in a little bit. And that's exactly the age that we're drafting the, at the very beginning of that and so they expect that the 18 or 19-year-old that I drafted will be the same person when they're 23, 24, 25. That's, that's not a good bet. And it's also hard to predict where that path is going to be. You can help to the best of your ability to help them along the way. But, again, some of that's just going to be totally dependent on themselves, their family, their friends. Uh, you know, if they, they get in a relationship, all of those things are factoring in. And, again, it's, it's really hard to do the NBA draft. I, I have a lot of empathy uh, for general managers who ultimately have to make these decisions. What does an NBA draft look like without workouts? What does an NBA draft look like without a combine? What does an NBA draft look like without person-to-person meetings? We'll touch on those things as that's what the NBA is about to embark upon in this COVID-19 world. Also in this COVID-19 world, Right now, I think we're trying to do all trying to do two things. We're trying to limit contacts, and we're probably trying to help out the local people. One way you can do that is with Postmates. Whether it's an early morning breakfast burrito or a 12-pack of beer, you want to watch the ball game, draft, old game, whatever it might be, Sunday night Michael Jordan special, you can do it through Postmates. Whatever your local place around, whether it's burgers, sushi, Life is easier with Postmates. You don't have to make the food run yourself. You can do it with Postmates. And right now, Locked On listeners are getting $100 of free delivery credit for the first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the app, and use the code LOCKEDONNBA. That's code LOCKEDONNBA for $100 of free delivery with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need, Postmate it. Breakfast burrito, sushi, burger, Whatever it is, download Postmates on iOS or Android. That's Android for most people, but I decided to add a syllable in there. Uh, iOS or Android, find your favorites and get anything you want. Again, locked in NBA for $100, free delivery with no minimum purchase for seven days when you download the Postmates app. Chad, let's look at the 2020 NBA draft. When? Question mark. Still on the schedule, but I, I think it's unlikely uh, to happen when it's on the schedule. What's your thought on the impact this is going to have on scouts and people and GMs and everybody else? Yeah, I've been talking to a lot of people about it. I, I think there's several, you know, themes that, that are pretty consistent. One, in general, they want the draft to move back. Uh, there's only a couple of teams or scouts that I've spoken with that, that want the, the draft to continue to happen in June. They had a, a call with the Board of Governors. That was one of the requests, was that the NBA go ahead and move the draft back uh, to when. That's a big question mark, obviously, because there's a lot, of, a lot of factors that we're still unclear about in the NBA. But at the very earliest, August, you know, maybe it's September even. And there's a lot of rationale behind that. Uh, some of it is 
if there's going to be a season, then I think that if there's going to be a season, I, I think that there needs to be there might be five more games that are played, which is going to get draft order and teams that there's still a little flux there on, on where you would end up on in the draft lottery. So that's, that's one thing Two teams are really concerned, especially about getting great medicals uh, for, for the prospects that, that seems to be the biggest concern that if there isn't some sort of draft combine process and maybe there's not games played or the athletic testing or whatever, but if they can't get, team doctors in a room to do an objective, really clear physical, that that is such an important factor in the draft that can't be figured out other ways that NBA teams are flying blind. And and certainly given the guaranteed contracts that rookies have and the importance of rookies, especially for these struggling franchises, you don't want to be, you don't want to be uh, flying blind. So that's, that's one thing. What it means about workouts, um, you know, combine stuff like that, I think that the majority of the NBA knows that those things don't really matter and shouldn't matter. It's information, and this is a league that's always information hungry. But at, at the end of the day, almost all of them will say that those are small factors and not big factors. Medicals, that's a big factor. And then they're going to be able to do interviews via Zoom calls and what have you, and so they will at least be able to do that part of the analysis. And so it's really those, those medicals. I think that the other thing that teams are just really wondering is what is the league going to look like next season and what's going to happen and making a draft for the future before, you know, all of that other stuff, I think makes a big difference. What's free agency going to look like. I know that there was also a number of general managers, the board of governors meeting that, that, ask their owners to ask that the NBA draft be pushed behind free agencies so that, you know, typically it's, it's uh, the draft, it's the, it's the finals, the draft free agency starts four to seven days later. And they actually ask those to be reversed. That's, that's been a long standing concern from some teams. Again, not every team agrees with that, but for, for some teams, they felt like, Understanding how free agency went, which free agents we kept, which free agents we signed, helps us to better understand what our team needs are and, and how to handle the draft. It also allows, uh, you know, for easier trading of picks at that time. And that will be interesting in general, whether the league takes this opportunity to make schedule changes, to change the offseason calendar. I mean, there's so many interesting things that could happen because of this. But until we know exactly when games can be played again, it's really hard to figure out exactly what that looks like. But I, I expect that we're going to see a very different offseason than we've ever seen before, whenever that happens, and a new calendar in the NBA, which I think will be a new calendar. I, I think it won't just be a COVID-19 calendar. I think it will be a new calendar, and I think the league will start doing some things differently. I mean, this is an opportunity to do all sorts of um really interesting possibilities with calendars. I'm going to give you one in a minute. I have a crazy idea I want to share with you that I think would just be so fun. And since we're in the wackiness of this, uh, but I don't want to do it yet. I want to talk about trends in the league. Like I was listening to you in Hollinger and you were talking about, you know, uh, when uh, Yin Jun Lee gets drafted, people are going after the Chinese kid. And, you know, they're all excited about your video from the chair workout. We go back to, you know, 
when have mistakes been made? Kobe was drafted too late because we were scared about the high school kids. Garnett was drafted too late because we were scared about high school kids. We made, you know, we were late on Dirk, but then we drafted, I heard you and Bill, Nick, uh, Nicholas Schizavilli because we were trying to create the next Dirk. There's all these trends. I think the most interesting players in the NBA right now are these three-point bombers. The league is trying to take away the rim and trying to take away the three defensively. And Duncan Robinson is getting 13 to 15 threes a game every now and then. Davis Bertans has taken like nine or 10 or 11 threes in a game. Now, both are six, seven. Are we going to see, is this a trend? Are you? Are we now searching this draft board for the six, seven knockdown shooter that suddenly has this skill and we may be fine. He's not an elite athlete. He's, he's not, you know, but he's big enough to always get his shot. Yes. I, the league always goes in trends. This has been a thing forever. You look at who is currently succeeding at the highest level in the NBA right now. And you want to go draft that guy, right? Uh, you want to go draft the guy that's the most similar uh, to that. And, and that's changed over time. You know, people are watching uh, the last dance right now and wondering how in the world the Blazers could have passed on Michael Jordan. And the answer is because bigs ruled the NBA back then that there was a, a genuine belief that a seven footer was the best way and maybe the only way to really have a franchise type player to, to build around. And so you would reach for a guy like Sam Bowie over a shooting guard like Michael Jordan when there wasn't a lot of trend in the league at that time that a shooting guard like Jordan was going to be a guy that could really turn around your, your franchise. And, you know, now we laugh at that because the, the idea of these lumbering bigs that are ruling the paint is now so out, uh, out of uh, fashion in the NBA that guys like, you know, Jalil Okafor, who maybe was born like a decade too late for his game, are, you know, teams just aren't really interested in, in players like that anymore. And so, yeah, that is, the, that is the trend. You want players that can stretch the floor, that can shoot threes, even in your bigs, uh, not only offensively, but then defensively, defensively, they have to have the lateral quickness, right, to be able to get out of the paint and guard on the perimeter as well. That that is the trend. Those guys, by the way, are not easy to find. And it's interesting as you look at the top of this draft and the players that are there. That is not really a description of Lamelo Ball. It's not a description of James Wiseman. It's not a description really of Anthony Edwards. Because also you have to deal with the talent that you just have in the draft. But will guys rise because of that? Yeah, you know and. Uh, Bill Simmons and I talked about the 2003 draft and did a redraft on that. And one guy that I think went way higher than people thought they would was Kyle Korver, uh, who went, you know, 51 on draft night. And I can't remember exactly where Bill and I put him, but like somewhere like six or seven or something, something like that with Korver. And, you know, in retrospect, given the way the league adapted, it, it all moved in Kyle Korver's direction and the you know the gravity that that Corver created at, in the league uh, made up for all the things that people were knocking him on draft night which caused him to slip to 51 in the draft and there, there's going to be more and more players like that that people are going to try to identify 
in this draft, and they'll go higher than they would have in previous drafts. I, mean, I just think at the top of the draft, it's going to be a little bit challenging because those players aren't really there. I mean, I think the Cameron Johnson pick's looking better and better. Right? You got Phoenix got beat up for that pick, but he might turn out to one of, be one of those guys. He could, and I think that I think that the the question mark is going to be again drafting these type of guys and and what sort of role they play in the league. You know, it's it's this it's this always this conundrum, right? Do we swing for the fences and draft for a guy who can be a franchise player, or do we draft a guy that we know can fit a role in our team? We know he can do this in the league for the next ten years and help us, but is never going to be you know, a superstar. He's, he's going to be Kyle Korver. He's not going to be Donovan Mitchell, right? And all of the praise that we really give teams around drafting are discovering guys like that, right? And so there's a, there's a tendency among general managers, and I understand it, to when they get their pick that they want to, they want to swing for the fences instead of saying, okay, this is just going to be a really good solid player in the league. And and I don't know the answer to that because there's been many cases where swinging for the fences panned out in ways that were franchise changing uh, for teams. Like when Milwaukee took Giannis Antetokounmpo at 15 and several teams ahead of him that could have easily taken him didn't because they wanted, you know, a guy like Kelly Olenek who was, who wasn't a swing for the fences guy, but it was kind of clear what he might be able to do in the NBA. And then as, as you know, and I know, there's been plenty of whiffs on those players as well and guys that just don't really pan out. And so I think that's the, the, you know, the sexiness of a prospect. I don't think that's ever going to go away, even with all these trends at times, because teams ultimately want a big three or a big two of franchise cornerstones to build around. And they're very, very hard for most teams to get in free agency. And so you try to get them in the draft. The, uh, you know, I listened to your redraft. Jared Dudley went seventh. I think I'm going to take the player. I, well, I think that the, the real statement on this is that the, often the player you think is the solid uh, non-risk is actually not as solid a non-risk as you think. It's just really, really, really hard uh, to play inside the NBA. Uh, and that's probably the truth of it. Chad Ford is with us. You can hear Chad on Potapalooza. Uh, also a special Locked On podcast on Potapalooza coming up this weekend. Make sure uh, you dig in and uh, spend some time this weekend supporting uh, the COVID-19 relief uh, f- plans over at Potapalooza. More details on that coming up. All right, here's my crazy idea for you, Chad Ford. Let's have some fun. Are you ready? I'm ready. I love David Locke's crazy ideas. So we're going to change the NBA schedule, as you alluded to. I think all of us kind of think it's going to be different. So let's assume for a second the NBA schedule starts in December and now runs the regular season, runs to June. Major League Baseball has their draft about uh, during like their like college World Series. And then those guys go straight to the minor leagues and play that year. Right. And some of them by September actually play for the big league team. Could you imagine if we take the draft, move it either to weekend of final four or weekend, few weekends after final four, say it's an April 15th draft. Maybe it's an April 20th draft. I got room here. You draft the player 
and they're immediately eligible to play for your team for the final 15 or 20 games of the season. Okay, so now you've chewed on it. Can I sell you first? Yeah, yeah, sell it. Gets rid of tanking. Right? You're picking the draft suddenly is happening at like game 50 instead of game 80. For the 12 teams that have a boring last 15 games of the year, Trey Young is now playing for the Atlanta Hawks. Their TV ratings are up. Their fans are in the crowd. They want to see, they're seeing their young players. And for the good teams, the drafting gets really interesting. Like the four-year senior that's suddenly ready to play might be able to give you eight minutes in the playoffs becomes a little more appealing than an 18-year-old kid who's not ready to go. What's your thoughts on this nutty idea if we're going to push the NBA schedule back from December to June with playoffs running to August or whatever crazy, wherever we're going, we don't know, about throwing the draft actually into the middle of the season? It's, it's interesting. I, I think that your arguments for it are, are strong, especially the anti-tanking, something that the NBA has been deeply concerned about in the past. I think that the pushback that you'll get from general managers and scouts is around how busy a team is during the middle of the season and the focus that especially general managers want to, to take on the draft. It's actually why they're actually asking to push it back even further behind free agency that there's so many, so many things that a general manager has to do. And there's so many things that are happening in the middle of the season that it's very difficult for them to have a deep focus on the draft. And so unless they're giving all of that to their scouts and say, hey, I'm going to trust my scouts on this and whatever they say goes, and I'm not going to involve my coach at all in the draft because there's no way a coach has the time middle of the season to be really scouting prospects. All of that sort of happening after the season is over for for most of these coaches. In fact, they're often seeing these guys for the first time until the season's over because just the schedule that an NBA coach has to do. Unless you're going to say, I'm going to cut all, I'm going to cut myself and my coach out of the process here and really just rely on scouts. I just don't see general managers and coaches doing that. And, and especially I wonder also about mid-season additions of rookies, how many coaches without a training camp, without the chance for them to uh, summer league to get them to learn the system and what have you are going to be really excited about throwing a rookie out in the middle of the season when they're still trying to win games. Uh, that, that, that's what I th- That's what I predict the pushback would be to that idea. It's, it's interesting, but knowing I, this is the, maybe the wrong word, but knowing how much control general managers want over everything and how much information they want to have, I think that they would they would be really scared over that proposal so there's really two interesting things about what you brought up here one is your second your last point i think is is the most accurate which is as cool as i make it sound that you draft these rookies and they play the final six weeks if they don't know defensive schemes and gone through training camp or gone through a summer league the college game is so different than the pro game that i i do think that's probably prohibitive to having it be successful or having a player impact the one that's really interesting to me on the front side of it is that's where we are this year Right? Like coaches may never see these players play other than on film. And frankly, most, I don't know if most of, but the GMs that I know in the league and even some of the assistant general managers in the league 
do a lot of college scouting early and do a lot of college scouting late. In other words, they'll hit the Kentucky practices, they'll hit some of the early Maui tournaments, they'll hit the Thanksgiving things, and then they're kind of digging into the NBA season up to the trade deadline, and then they go and hit conference tournaments for college again before the and then decide what they're going to do in the tournament, and they didn't get to do that this year. So that first thing is actually, I find, very similar to where we're going to be this year, where front office GMs are going to have to really rely on their director of college scouting and those guys. Yeah, that is what's happening this year. I mean, there are some general managers that are on the road 24-7 scouting, and that's what they like to do, and, and most of them were former scouts, and so that's their real comfort zone. But most general managers just have too many responsibilities and duties to be out in the way that they, they really want to be. So you're right. They're caught now in a, in a difficult circumstance where they're, they're not going to be able to focus the same way that they would have been in live. Now, you know, like there's a huge debate seeing a guy live or seeing a guy on tape. I've heard strong, strong arguments around why it's important to see it live and, and having done both my whole life, watch, watch guys on Synergy and, and travel around to arenas, I've always been a tad skeptical. It seems to me that it's the sexiness of the travel and the dinners and the information and sort of the camaraderie you get from scouts that is probably the bigger value of, of traveling and seeing a guy in person as opposed to seeing them on tape. I do think it's helpful to see a guy in person um, once, but I, I do think that you can accurately scout players based off of tape if you have to. I, and for me, obviously, traveling, the biggest part of it for me was the chance to build relationships with scouts and general managers and, and to get information. I mean, that was, that was much more valuable than sitting courtside and just getting to, to see the player that, that way. So I, I think they can make up for all of that. But you're right, there's, a, there's definitely a concern that missing all of this has them behind the curve. But I will say this about general managers generally, and you know, not everybody will agree with me on this in the league. A general manager has so many responsibilities, and so many of them are, are, are so important to a team. I actually think the best general managers hire a great scouting staff and trust that scouting staff. That's, that's the way that I think that, that they should, and I would do it if I was a general manager in the first place, because one of the things I've learned in my lifetime is having a little bit of information is dangerous, uh, right? And there's no way that I have the same amount of information that a scout that's doing this professionally their whole life has. And it's one of the reasons that I always sort of shrug my shoulders when I see NBA scouts are the people that everybody's trying to elevate to general manager and because they drafted a guy or they, they had a great eye for talent. That's just such a small percentage of the job. And so much of it has to do with how do you manage egos and personalities? How good are you at negotiating? How good are you at building a culture uh, of a franchise? I mean, there's so many other things that go into that that have nothing to do with scouting that I think owners overrate that quality in a general manager and it's, it's actually why I've really liked the trend of hiring agents in front offices, in part because agents have to run a business, agents have to negotiate, agents have to recruit players and learn how to talk to players and work with players. There's so many skills, skills that are built by an agent that aren't built by a scout that are better suited to being an NBA general manager. And so maybe, if, maybe your proposal would, 
actually get things in the right balance for I think that they really should be in the league, which is that what great leaders do is they hire really talented specialists that become experts in their field, and then they trust the people that they hire uh, to make good decisions for the organization that they have expertise on. And in, in this case, I think that often fails in the NBA. The general managers fail to listen to their scouts, and unfortunately, in some circumstances, owners fail to listen to their entire front office. After spending millions and millions of dollars, they just make a decision on their own. And, and, and in all those cases, I think that's faulty leadership. What, uh, if I'm giving you commissioner title in this world where, I mean, I do think the really interesting thing for every single one of these sports is kind of, this is your opportunity to change who you are and how you do things. What would you do to the NBA? Well, I'm just going to focus on the draft because I think that that's where all of my expertise really is. And, and I've been arguing this for years. David Stern and I used to have these conversations. If you watch the NFL draft and you see the lead up to the NFL draft, it becomes it has become a phenomenon in its own that the NBA draft never never has been. The NFL draft is is a thing. It is a major major event, and one of the reasons that it is is because the Super Bowl was over in January, right? Uh, February, January, February. The draft is this weekend in the NFL. There's all of this time to just focus on these players. To it becomes almost like a, another part of the off season free agency is done. It, I, I always thought the league was missing an opportunity, but cramming the draft right next to the final, sometimes, and this was frustrating for me, who did this all year at ESPN, sometimes we didn't even get airtime on like SportsCenter until three or four days before the draft because we're just too busy covering so many other things that are happening right now, including the finals, which you know most NBA fans are, are the most focused on that the, the draft really got short shrift. And so I think regardless of whether the league changes its calendar or not, it makes a lot more sense to me to keep the draft months after the season is over, go through free agency, then go through a combine process like the NFL does, have the draft be over a couple of days, don't rush the picks, give TV time to talk more about the players and show more video and get people really acquainted with uh, with players in the draft, and then and then have summer league, which now would be fall league, roll right into training camp, and and so at that point you do your whatever that summer league is, and then there's a couple of days, and then you're in training camp right now because I think there's too big of a gap for players as well between what's happening in the summer league and then what's happening uh, in training camp, especially for rookies. I, I think that's a, a much more seamless approach. It also allows the NBA to go. 365 days a year, finals, free agency, combine work, summer league, training camp, roll, roll right into the season. And uh, while I'm sure <laughs> some NBA teams are going to be like, where's my vacation or where's my time off? We all know that most of them don't really take much of a vacation anyway. So uh, that, that's, that's my proposal to the league. I think they would monetize the draft. I think they'd create more interest in these young players and, they really have something going, too. I, I mean, I'll say this about the NFL draft. That one of the reasons the NFL draft, you can argue, is more impactful is that there's so many more players. There's a bun bunch of rounds, and guys in the second and third round of the NFL draft can actually become really, really good players in the NFL. This is a smaller draft that way. But also, all those players, for the most part, are hid behind face masks most of the time. Many of those are offensive linemen, defensive linemen, kickers, things like that that 
you know, most Americans don't know who these guys are. They couldn't pick them out of a lineup if they saw them. But that's not really true with our basketball players and our college basketball players. Like, we know who these guys are. And the basketball is such an exciting game. I just think there's more that we can do with it as well. And I'll just say one other thing is I like this general trend that the league seems to be going to of providing an alternative to college uh, for players through the league and not, not having to export to Australia or whatever, but really creating a developmental team in the D league that will allow top prospects. If they choose not to go to college, I have nothing against college. I'm a university professor, but if they choose not to do that, they need to earn money or they want to just work on their pro career. And that's what they want to do that. There's going to be an easier path for, for prospects to do that and a way for the NBA to market them. And so people aren't scratching their head and draft night and saying, who is this guy? Interesting. All right. Tweet at Chad and I, Chad at Chad Ford insider and at locked on sports. Do you like my early version or his late version? We both, we basically had the exact opposite ideas on uh, what we're going on there. All right. We're going to do this again because I am actually going to go back and listen to our old podcast and I'm going to make us sit down and listen to crazy things we said because I can edit them. It'll be really fun one of these days because you know why? I think we have time for content between now and a few months from now. So, uh, Chad, great chatting with you. It's Chad Ford's NBA Big Board is the podcast. Also, Dangerous Love and Dangerous Love is the book. Excited to read it when it comes out here shortly. You can pre-order that on Amazon. Chad, thanks so much, uh, for the time today, thanks for joining the Locked On Podcast Network and loving the redrafts with Hollingers uh, each week and all the great guests you've been having on Chad Ford's NBA Big Board. Thanks for having me to be part of the network. It's It's been awesome, a great experience, and I just really, really enjoyed it. Chad Ford's NBA Big Board. In fact, right now, tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Chad Ford's NBA Big Board.